0: super talk mississippi media production
1: come see the boutique on central in downtown laurel for the best deals in women's fine clothing let us complete your one-of-a-kind look at the boutique on central at 531 central avenue in downtown laurel
0: celebrating the amazing people of coastal Mississippi and across this great state who are working hard to make this a great place to live, work, and play. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1.
1: Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show. Thank you for joining us here, and I hope you're having a great day. Um, Hey, one quick uh, quote to uh, share, and then we're going to be visiting with Jeff Duncan for the entire show today. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I get uh, a bunch of newsletters, and I came across this quote from Nelson Mandela. And... uh, I talk often about how we learn from our mistakes, and when we fall, we get back up. And especially when we talk about the entrepreneurial community, entrepreneurs know well that you know the way to get better is you got to fail. And uh, you know a lot of a lot of the experts say you should fail fast, learn from your failure, and move move forward. But um, you know that comes in our personal lives. I mean, every single person in the world faces failure in their lives. And when you think about someone like Nelson Mandela, you, um, you, you know where he's coming from. And you, and you know anything he has to say about life and living and growing is something you have to pay attention to. But here's what he said. The greatest glory in living lies not in never failing or excuse me, not in never falling but in re- rising every time we fall. The greatest glory in living lives, not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. It's just a reminder. If you fall or fail, just get back up and go at it again, man. That's that's what life is all about. Um, anyway, uh, we'll shift gears now, move over to my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune and uh, first just say good morning. How you doing? Or good? Yeah, good morning. How you doing?
2: Ricky, I'm doing great, man. Good to, Good to be on again as always.
1: Well, listen, uh, okay, so just uh, so that the uh, audience knows this, we're actually pre-recording today. This is when we can have access to Jeff. This is going to play on Friday, and he and I were chatting just before we started. By the time this thing airs, We will know what the Saints schedule is, so we're not going to be able to get into much detail about that today. Uh, Sorry for that, but there's a lot of other things we're going to be talking about today that that are incredibly relevant uh, to the news coming out of the Saints facility. But um, kind of frustrating not to have that in front of us, isn't it, buddy?
2: Well, you know, it's funny, Ricky. When I first started covering the NFL, it was back a long time ago now, 19. 98. I was covering the Tennessee Titans after they moved from Houston to Nashville, and I remember meeting with Jeff Fisher and Floyd Reese, the general manager, and they told me, you know, there's three things that really matter in the NFL from season to season. Injuries, of course, is number one. You know, some years you have a lot of injuries, some years you don't. Number two is just breaks, you know, the bounce of the ball. Does the fumble bounce to your guy or does it bounce to the opponent? The deflected pass, does it turn into an interception or a touchdown for you? You know, those breaks. And then the third thing that I never really thought of, they said, was the schedule. And they said the reason that schedule is so important is when you play a team is more important than who you're playing in some instances. And I'll give you a good example. The one game we know about, on the Saints' schedule right now, as we're recording this, is the Packers game that they play. Uh, they play them September 24th in Green Bay. Now, we knew they were going to play them in Green Bay. We didn't know when. And the reason this is important is it's the first home game for the Packers. They play two games on the road to start the season. Then they come home. Well, that's a tough game for the Saints. You can think about it. Like, if you played them later in the year and they were 6-10, and 10, and they lost a little bit of hope, but this is going to be early. It's going to be their first home game with Jordan Love, at quarterback. So it all of a sudden is a much tougher game than maybe later on in the year. So that's what they're getting at, and this is the one game we happen to know, and it, it looks like a tough one.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting. And then, you know, they've got something to prove, as we both know. So, um this, man, there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, drama in the NFL this year because of all the moving around and you know, and placing bets. I guess that's true every year. Is it any more different than this year? This year than what you've seen in the past?
2: No, I mean the one thing I would say for Saints fans to be encouraged about is according to all these you know metrics and things that um, that you see analyzing the schedule the Saints have the easiest schedule in the entire NFL projected to be. Now, things change, obviously, once they start playing, but the way they base that is on the projected win totals of the teams in Las Vegas. And if you look at the Saints schedule, their their projected win totals for their opponents is the lowest in the entire league. They just got lucky, and, and, and their same NFC South peers have the same similar type of schedule rotation, but because they're playing the AFC South this year in the rotation, I mean, those teams are all down, right? You get, uh, Basically, Jacksonville's the best team in the division. Houston, Indianapolis, Tennessee, those opponents, they're all kind of down. The, S- the NFC South is down. And the Saints avoid, Ricky, really almost every elite quarterback in the league. Now that Aaron Rodgers has been traded to the Jets, they get Jordan Love instead of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's really a a year built to win. If Dennis Allen and his staff can't win against this schedule, uh, you know, it could be trouble.
1: Yeah, I read something the other day. Um, it'd be interesting. I'm I'm uh, well, it'd be interesting to see what you think about it, but it was it was showing who the top quarterbacks are in in each division. And um in our division, Carr got good rank got got a good ranking as the number 1 quarterback. Uh, I guess you you would agree with that. And with all the other teams going through transition in our division, this is a this is going to be a good opportunity for us, isn't it?
2: Totally. I mean, Derek Carr is easily the most established, proven quarterback in the NFC South. Now, we're going to have to see what happens with Bryce Young, right? I mean, this guy could be a phenom. He's played at a very high level in a lot of big games. I think any rookie quarterback can come into the league and kind of jump right into the mix, it's going to be Bryce Young, Uh, just because where he played, uh, the the experience he has, his mental acuity that everyone raves about. I mean, this is a very sharp guy, so you know, he's the other wild card, I think, in the division at quarterback. Otherwise, you've got Tampa Bay with Baker Mayfield, who's kind of in a transition period down in Tampa, and Atlanta going with the young guy, Desmond Ritter, who has a lot of potential, but he still hasn't even started half a season in the NFL, so yeah, definitely Derek Carr gives the Saints a leg up.
1: You know, you think about Bryce Young for a second. Um, of course, the, he he went number one. Dig on him as his size. And it would be interesting. You know, he's obviously at Alabama. We saw that not be much of an issue. But, boy, in the NFL, they're bigger, taller, faster. If if there's going to be a, a characteristic that we all want to pay close attention to, it's going to be how, how does he – Navigate in the NFL given his size. Do you think that's as big an issue as I say it is?
2: Well, normally it would be. I mean, you know, I talked to Jeff Ireland last week a little bit about the Saints draft, and we talked about prototypes and the Saints' physical prototype. The average starting quarterback in the league 6'3". so he's definitely below that. But so is Drew Brees. You know, Drew Brees almost the exact same height as as Bryce Young, and he was he was able to navigate it just fine. I think Bryce Young, I'm not saying he's going to be another Drew Brees, but he has the same traits, gets rid of the ball quickly, he's very smart, kind of a step ahead of the defense, uh, knows the, how to find windows in the passing lanes. Uh, so I don't think it will be a big issue. I think the biggest issue for him is his size. Is He's not very big either. He's he, What I mean by that, he's slight. He's not very built very big. He's not like Kyler Murray. He's kind of thick-framed or Russell Wilson, who's pretty thick. Uh, so you worry that if he gets hit and and these 300-pound linemen land on him, just the physics of it might not work for him. But he's so smart and so quick-minded. He gets the ball out before he gets hit most of the time. Very similar to, to Drew Brees.
1: You know, it's interesting. You're, you're saying all those things just now about Bryce Young. But the quarterback that we drafted, you could say all those same things about, couldn't you?
2: Yeah, Jay Kaner. I mean, Jeff Ireland made, I thought, a very astute point about him. He said, you know everything that they that they were able to um, you know evaluate about him was positive, except for his height. You know it's the one thing he said. But if you took Jay Kaner and stuck him in the Alabama offense, how do you think he would fare? Because I think he would have fared really well. Sometimes you have to do that in the evaluation. You know, take a player. He's at Fresno State. He started out his career at Washington, so he was at a high level there. Uh, but, but had just incredible numbers, and I'm really eager to see him this weekend at the Saints rookie minicamp, see him operate, see him throw the ball, talk to him and kind of pick his brain about uh, making this transition to the NFL. I mean, they're excited about him. Uh, obviously, he's going to you know, sit and learn for a couple of years behind Carr and Jameis Winston, but exciting developmental prospect for the team.
1: Well, it's interesting because you guys have done a great job of covering why he could be a real unique player for the Saints and more than just a project, just really a, a bright young talent coming in. is uh, it was interesting that when when uh, in the interview with Ireland, he talked about they had to get over the color of the card. And I thought that was interesting that the that the height thing made the card and their evaluation a certain color. and that 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 is something. That's driving the point home hard that they're looking for certain characteristics, isn't it? Hey, by the way, listen, I tell you what, that's so important, and I want to, I want to, I want to add to that his senior ball performance and the opportunity the Saints had to really zero in on that senior ball performance. Mm-hmm. When we come back with uh, Jeff Duncan on the other side, we'll continue our conversation about all these cool things happening with the Saints. It's been a great offseason. season. Uh, so, uh, the, the team at Noahcom at speaking have done a great job. I also want to get into the Foster, Foster uh, Moreau story, which I think is incredible. What a, what a cool story and what an important story personally and professionally. We'll see you after this.
2: live or on demand and watch episodes of the ricky Matthews show on your laptop desktop or your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com
0: his passion and love for coastal mississippi is why he's here this is the ricky Matthews show on supertalk 103.1
1: Welcome back to my show. I have my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times picking in with us. If you haven't signed up for their Saints newsletter, I really highly encourage you to do that. Their their coverage of this off off season has been really, really good, really good. You know, it's interesting, Jeff. We go into this off season knowing that they have big salary cap issues and all the things they have to do. And you were, you know, well, I don't think you were ever worried because you knew they were going to figure this out. But it's amazing how they do figure it out, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, they got the best in the business in Mickey Loomis and Kai Harley. Those guys are outstanding at negotiating the salary cap. Um, The Saints have a unique uh, kind of methodology there. They kind of push everything into the future. They kind of kick the can down the road and, uh, you know, with a plan there. It's not haphazard, but the plan of course, always the salary cap keeps uh, keeps rising because the league revenues, the, the salary cap's based on the league revenue totals and and they understand that the league revenue is going to continue to grow every year, so so will the salary cap. So it's a lot like having a credit card where the limit keeps uh, going up every year. You continue to add that. Now, at some point, you know, you, it all comes back to the team, but the fact is uh, because that salary cap keeps growing, it doesn't have that much of an impact on their roster.
1: Hey, Jeff, uh, where we were when we went to break, we were talking about, it was interesting in the story that you guys wrote about how they evaluate players, you know having to overcome the color of the card because of the height issue. Talk about that a little bit and also about the senior ball and the observations they made at the senior ball.
2: yeah, well, they're they're very, very um, reliant on the senior ball. Of course, it's you know right in Mobile, not far away. Saints take advantage of that. I know Jeff Ireland and his staff feel like it's you know it's all the best players in the country, all the best players in the draft there for that week. And it's a real opportunity for them to dig in, get to know the players for the first time. You know, I don't think people understand how the draft process works a lot of times, but, you know, the the, the scouts are out evaluating during the college season. They're going to games, watching film, basically getting an early read on the prospects. The Saints coaches, you know, Dennis Allen, his staff, they're involved in their season. They, They don't know anybody in the draft. Sure, they've heard of the top prospect here or there, but. They're so uh, you know narrow focused on the task at hand that by the time the season's over, this it's really their first chance to even hear some of the names or see these players is at the Senior Bowl. So it always cracks me up after the season, Ricky, when fans are like, "Well, who are we going to draft?" And I'm like, "Well, the Saints are just now figuring out who's in the draft. Much less, I mean, not the scouts, but the coaches. So you know, it's a three month process." Of evaluation, getting up to the draft, and it really starts at the Senior Bowl for most of the staff, other than Jeff Ireland and his scouts.
1: So, uh, so on, on the quarterback that we took, he had a really good Senior Bowl.
2: Yeah, and that's always a good evaluation because he's going against the top prospects. It's kind of an apples to apples evaluation. You're seeing him go against, uh, you know, other elite players. They're going to be first and second round draft picks, and. And we've seen that in the past where quarterbacks have really strong uh, senior bowls and it vaults them up. Uh, Kenny Pickett had one and ended up being the first quarterback taken a year ago. So I think it's always a good evaluation. I mean, this this kid's very smart. I think the thing that stood out to me, and I don't know if it made it in to our Q&A, but I'm certainly going to write about it at some point. He scored very highly on this test that's called the S2 test. And it's, uh, it's something of a, a new... It's been around a while, but I think the public is just now hearing about it, Ricky. It basically measures a quarterback's ability or any player's ability to process. And we all know how important that is at the quarterback position above all other positions. And he's able to think very quickly and make quick decisions, much like Drew Brees did. That's why I think Jeff Ireland has compared him to Drew Brees in that regard. It's not saying he's going to be the next Drew Brees, but the fact that he can make quick decisions in the pocket – uh, really, I think, helps him compensate for his lack of size.
1: Well, I also mentioned going into the uh, break, this Fo- Foster Moreau story, it's a good story, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, who, who would have thought that he'd be back this quickly? But, you know, if you catch, uh, you know, this disease early, you know, it's very treatable. And I think that's exactly what happened. I mean, kudos to John Amos, the Saints doctor who who was able to, uh, you know, diagnose that so quickly. And uh, yeah, it's a great story. He's a hometown kid. Went to Jesuit. Played at LSU on the national title team. Uh, I think he fits perfectly into their tight end position. Boston Moreau is a, a very underrated player. Uh, he's a very good blocker. Uh, you know, he'll he'll complement Jawan Johnson at that position. It gives the Saints a couple of young, really talented tight end prospects to go with Taysom Hill, who's also kind of the jack of all trades. There, uh, you got to feel pretty good about the tight end spot.
1: And he has chemistry with Carr already,
2: right? Of course, David Carr knows about him. I think that was a big reason why he signed here. Also, of course, being a hometown native, so it's a good fit. And uh, yeah, that's the one position, to be honest with you, that I knew the Saints needed to address. Uh, needed to address with a veteran uh, going before training camp. They were not going to go into training camp with just Juwan Johnson and Taysom Hill there. So they probably felt pretty good about signing Foster Moreau. That's why they didn't uh, expend a, a draft pick on a tight end.
1: So, okay, so let's look at this. You guys have been talking a little bit about um, the Saints uh, defense and kind of where we stand right now. Do, 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 do you and your team believe the Saints can be a top 10 defense again? Kind of what you thinking about where we are right now based on the, your talent evaluation.
2: Well, the back end, you know, the secondary is strong. They didn't really even address that in the draft. I mean, I think the sixth rounder they got, uh, Jordan Howden, is, uh, is a safety that's going to be a backup player. But they feel so good about the cornerback and starting safeties, and rightfully so. The Saints were second in the league in pass defense. So that's the strength of the team. They We know they address the front line, uh, you know, with the first round pick and the second round pick, bringing in Brian Brazee and also Isaiah Foskey. That, to me, the key to the defense is going to be the pass rush. They've got to improve there. That's obviously was reflected in in their draft picks. Uh, You know, they drafted two guys that they hope can, uh, you know, inject some juice into the pass rush. It's weird, Ricky. I mean, I think people look at the Saints and, and see they had 48 sacks last year, and they think, oh, that's fifth in the league. They must be pretty good rushing the passer, but if you look at all the other metrics, uh, pressures, you know, hurrying the quarterback, they're at the very bottom of the league, second or third to last. They just didn't affect the quarterback enough, and that's why I think they they use these two high draft picks. Now there's going to be a lot of pressure on those young kids to come in and, and and work their way into the rotation. I don't think Foskey will will immediately be anything more than a rotational guy, but I think Brian Brazee will will start. A defensive tackle right away and hopefully he adds some of that pass rush because this is a passing league, quarterback driven league. You gotta be at, be able to get after the quarterback. And so that's my big concern right now.
1: Yeah, it was actually last year, going into last year, you remember well, we were supposed to be incredibly dominant at defense, and it just wasn't it wasn't a great year for the Saints from a defensive point of view. We said going into the last year's season that defensive line was going to be the strength of the Saints, the offensive line as well, and it just didn't turn out that way. So here we, you know, I guess people got a little nervous when they saw at the end of the season free agency gets you know kicked off and we start losing some players, and and I don't think the Saints sweated at all through that process because they knew they had to make some changes, and now they've addressed it, and you know, it completely remains to be seen if we can if if we can put it all together but players we expected to overperform didn't and and it was a big disappointment wasn't it
2: well the run defense was the big drop off i think they went from top 5 in the league to 24th or 25th in the league against the run that that was surprising and that's all basically on the front seven uh, that's an area that they've tried to address in the offseason we're going to find out i mean the the one concern i would have just you know following the league for 20 something years like i have uh, you know, Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, Tyron Matthew, I've talked about this before. Uh, you know, they're all in their 30s. Uh, you know, in, in the case of Cam Jordan, he's 34. So, uh, you know, eventually father time catches up. And we haven't seen that yet with any of those three. They played that They were arguably the three best defensive players on the team last year. But at some point, we're, we'll probably see a decline in their performance just because of age. Could they start having injuries? That could happen as well is your body, you know, the wear and tear of years of playing. That's my concern is three of your best players are in their 30s.
1: Hey, you know what's interesting? Looking back at Tyrone Matthews' season, from the way I observed him when he played at other teams was that, for some reason, I just thought he was more of an outspoken leader and he was just, you know, charismatic personality and whatever. That's actually not the way it played out at all, that he was – He just sort of quietly did his deal and didn't really try to bring a lot of attention on himself. He's really a good team player, isn't he? Yeah,
2: he's even said that. He said, like, hey, look, I'm coming in here. We already have established leaders in Cam Jordan and Demario Davis. I'm just trying to fit in. And I think he did a great job of that. I think he got a little more comfortable. Speaking out, and I think he'll be more comfortable this year speaking out because of that. But certainly, uh, he's more of a quiet, cerebral guy than a uh, you know rah-rah leader. There's no doubt.
1: It was it was really good to see that um, I often say you know a great leader truly appreciates what it means to lead by example and he just did it by his play and uh, that was really that was really cool to see hey when we come back we'll continue our conversation with Jeff Duncan from Nolacom and the times you and we'll see you after this
2: Subscribe for free to the Ricky Matthews Show podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Reminding you why we all love living in coastal Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1.
1: Welcome back to my show. I have my friend Jeff Duncan with us from NOLA.com and the times in, and We're just kind of reviewing where we are in the scheme of things as it relates to the Saints. And, um, you know, one of the – it was interesting. To the First of all, the fact that Jeff Ireland makes himself available to you guys. He really believes that if he's right, he hit it out of the park. He really – he's feeling good about this draft uh, session, isn't
2: he? Yeah, well, what he means by that, Ricky, is uh – and he told told me this off the off the air you know when i off when i was talking to him before we started the interview they've got on their board and i think i've mentioned this to you in the past like the saints board of draft picks is different than the rest of the league's boards in in and, and according to jeff ireland they got 7 of the top 75 players on their board in their draft so that would if you just think about it you have 30 something players around that means they got all third or round picks are higher in their mind in their mind in their entire draft class. So they that's because and I've talked about this on the program before, they have a very strict uh, you know size protocols, a lot of different things that they use to basically zero in on their type of players and um, in their mind, they got seven of the top 75. so he, what he means is if we're right in our evaluation, these guys are all going to be good if we're right. Now we're going to find out because the Saints valued a lot of these guys higher than other teams in the league because they fit their scheme and their, you know, their offense and defensive systems probably more than other teams. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out.
1: Well, another thing we talked about uh, in the past and that you guys have been really zeroing in on, on this aspect, given that, um, it, it, everyone's wanting to place their bets on how well they did in this area, but the whole notion of undrafted free agents in the past, as y'all pointed out, Sammy Knight, Pierre Thomas, and you know Rashi uh, Shahid, uh, who incidentally has a new number. We'll talk about that in a minute, which I think is going to be odd seeing a new number on uh, on that receiver position. But um, there may be some. There may be some gems, that you expect to see some gems in that group, don't you?
2: they always uncover one or two there's no doubt I mean, and they, they spent a lot of time on it. He told me that this year more than ever though it was more competitive uh, you know for these type players that some of the guaranteed money the teams were using to lure some of the top undrafted players was higher than it's ever been there's a, a limit they can put on it but you can divvy up that pie each team uh, can divvy it up and he said some of these of undrafted guys that they were going after got lured away to other teams with you know $150,000 guaranteed. Uh, usually, it's more like around 30 to 50 is the guarantee they go. So it just shows you how much teams around the league now are valuing players. And, and the Saints got guys in their undrafted class that they felt were like fifth-round draft pick graded players. So in their mind, they're getting players that really were should have been drafted. And it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I don't. I didn't get the sense, I'll be honest with you, I didn't get the sense that they felt like this is one of their better undrafted classes. Uh, I think they feel like there's going to be one or two that are going to make the roster, but it, overall it, it felt like it might be a little bit down. And that's probably reflective on just the entire draft. This was not a, a great draft overall for the entire NFL. I mean, the, I've, I've said this before, there were probably 15 top players in this draft, and it really dropped off in grade-wise. So... But when we look back on this draft five years from now, I don't think we're going to see a bunch of all pros and pro bowlers like you did, say, in 2017 or 2011. Those were elite classes.
1: You know, it's also it's also an indication, too, that under Dennis Allen's leadership, they're building the team he wants to build and that, you know, they're 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 getting more confident in the core players they have on this team, and it's going to be harder to make the team now. That you know, when you combine the free agent moves they've made, the draft picks they've made, it's going to be harder for an undrafted uh, free agent to come in and make this team than it was before. Is that you think that's a factor too?
2: Well, it's you know, it's always hard for any undrafted. I remember you know, I'm working on the Steve Gleason book, right? I mean, Steve uh, was an undrafted free agent, got cut by the Colts. Ended up with the Saints, and he talked about. He said the thing that the most frustrating thing for the undrafted free agents is you don't get very many chances in practice to show what you can do because you're you're basically last in line for everything. So when they go to reps and they're say going to pass receiving reps, well the first one going out there is going to be Michael Thomas with seniority, and then it's going to be Rashid Shaheed, and then Chris Olave. By the time you get to the undrafted free agent receiver that he might get one ball, you know. And so you got to really have you – you don't have much opportunity to prove yourself, and that's why those preseason games are important because it at least gives you a little more time because you're playing more than you even are in practice. So things are kind of stacked against you, and you really have to kind of uh, – things have to fall your way, some injuries maybe ahead of you on the depth chart it gives you an opportunity to kind of uh, open some
1: eyes. Hey, listen, I'm curious, have you um... – do you, do you anticipate getting an availability of a one-on-one with Derek Carr at some point soon?
2: Well, I don't know if I will get a one-on-one, but I mean, we're going to talk to him soon. I mean, he's not there. I mean, he's working out with the team, but he's not going to be a. this is a rookie mini camp this weekend. So it'll just be the rookies. And then the Saints will have a regular mini camp. I think it's about a week after that. And I'm sure we'll talk to him then. And he's going to start doing a, I don't know if you saw that. He's going to be doing a a one-on-one with us at the Times-Picayune during the season each week, an exclusive sit-down. And we haven't determined yet exactly how we're going to handle that, uh, but I know that he's going to be doing it with our our shop.
1: Wow, that's awesome. That's incredible availability. And you know, just watching sort of his transition into a leader at the Saints and being able to have sort of a weekly availability—that's going to be awesome to to be able to do that. It, it says a lot about him too, because you know he's he's you know, he's a seasoned veteran, confident. He'll he'll admit when he's making mistakes, and he'll you know he'll you know uh, probably won't take the credit when he when he does well. He probably you know put it on the team based on what I've seen about him. Hey, listen, you have your team Gleason shirt on it, and I and you mentioned uh, Gleason being an undrafted free agent, etc. But when Foster Moreau uh, did his availability with the media, he had his no white flags shirt on. Uh, what what do you think? What was he conveying? You think?
2: I just think you know, it was probably his respect for Steve Gleason and Steve's uh, you know mantra of you know not ever giving up, never surrendering. Um, certainly, we, I don't know if you saw during the NFL draft. I thought it was a great gesture uh, in the third round when Toron Armstead introduced the Dolphins pick, and right before he did, he gave a shout out to Steve because he said ten years ago, Steve Gleason introduced the Saints third round pick at the 2013 NFL draft and it ended up being Tehran and uh, he said he's never forgotten that his family and 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 so he wanted to give a shout out to see so Steve's impact obviously and uh influence and inspiration I think uh you know continues on even for the younger generation like Foster Moreau probably was a young type when Steve was playing here
1: yeah, so, so cool. Well, I can't, you know, while we're on Steve, I can't help but ask, how's it going with the book writing process?
2: <laughs> well, we're we're deep in the throes. I mean, we're six weeks away from our deadline. So we've got to uh, finish strong. I told him the other day, I said, we're entering the fourth quarter, man. We got to like, we can't make mistakes. We've got to, we got to be very efficient here because we've got about four or five chapters left to write. So we're kind of under the gun, but it's exciting. You know, Our editors are excited about it up in New York and um, we're excited about it. Uh, and I think it's gonna be an extraordinary book. I have no doubt that it's gonna to, going to be a, a great read for people. It's so inspiring working with Steve every day and just uh, you know, tapping into that mindset. Uh, it's, it's a pretty remarkable experience and I'm really grateful to have this opportunity.
1: And, and, of course, regular regular listeners have heard you and me talk about this, but for people who have not, when I was president of NOLA Media Group uh, and publisher of the Times-Picayune, uh, I mean, I retired in 2016, but you go back – Two or three, four years, even before then, you and I were talking about we need to do a book about about Steve Gleason. You always wanted to write the book about Steve Gleason, and, and took time, and eventually here you are working with Steve. But this is not something that just happened overnight. Your relationship with Steve goes back a long, long way. But and and, and you and Michelle, y'all stayed very much in touch with each other every step of the way, and you've watched this this incredible journey that Steve has been on but but going through the book writing process now do you find yourself thinking that gosh man i never thought i could know him in, any deeper but now I'm, I'm 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 even deep more deeply engaged with him and and, and more close than i ever expected i would be how do, how did how do you look at it
2: well i think more than anything else it's seeing the evolution of steve on this journey right i mean we're coming up on 13 years since his diagnosis I mean there's uh, I don't know the exact number Ricky I'm trying to find out but uh, I don't think there are very many people in this country or even in the world that have lived with ALS as long as Steve has uh, Stephen Hawking's one that comes to mind lived you know, four decades but what Steve is doing is rare and it's extraordinary and, and you know the disease we know it, I think a lot of people are familiar with it because of Steve but you know, it's a tough, tough disease. It's, it really robs you of all your physical abilities. You can still think clearly and and everything, but it, it's tough. And so seeing him evolve along the way, and his mindset change and adapt has been remarkable.
1: It's incredible. My friend Alberto Ibargwin, the CEO from the Knight Foundation, his wife recently passed away with ALS and then longtime community leader here in coastal Mississippi, the former president of Mississippi Power. Uh, uh, died of ALS a couple of years ago, but tough disease, man. Tough disease affects everyone close to these, these people. And in Steve's case, what an inspiration. It's going to be a very popular book. I can absolutely assure you that. Hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll have our final segment with uh, Jeff Duncan. We'll see you after this.
0: This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Gulf Coast
1: 103.1. Welcome back to my show with my friend, because it's Friday, uh, Jeff Duncan from dot com and the Times in Again, if you haven't signed up for their Saints newsletter, I really strongly encourage you to do that. It comes into your mailbox every single morning, and is I mean, listen. I say this a lot, there's no rest for the weary, but that team is staying focused. It's been a really busy offseason, and the Saints are real, and they want to win. And when you've got access to people like Jeff Duncan, you can kind of keep up with it. And when you're keeping up with it during the offseason, it makes it so that when you get to the season – uh, when the season starts, or at least when training camp starts, you're, you, you've you learned a lot, and you, you it makes it more interesting. You can watch certain players and see if they emerge in the way that you're sort of thinking they might. It's just fun, and uh, so I really encourage you to follow Jeff and pay close attention to what's happening with the Saints. Okay, we've pretty much covered the, the, the waterfront on the Saints. I, I'm just curious, what are you hearing about the Pelicans in, in light of their disappointing season?
2: Well, it's obviously a big offseason for them. I mean, they know that they've kind of got to right the ship a little bit after the disappointment. Obviously, you know, they've got to get their star players healthy. That's going to be the the focus of the offseason. I expect them to be pretty active on the trade front, continuing to kind of, uh, you know, manage and adjust the roster. I wouldn't be surprised the Saints, I mean, the Pelicans have so many assets, Ricky, trade assets from from past trades. Uh, draft picks that they can use, I think, as uh, collateral to make a deal. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they made one or two trades, to try and kind of, uh, you know, bolster this roster to become a contender in the in the Western Conference. I mean, it's all there in front of them. With the the core being Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum, now Trey Murphy emerging, uh, those guys are pretty much untouchable. But I think. Everybody else could be on the table for a trade. And uh, I think the I think David Griffin and his staff will be very active in the next few weeks.
1: Well Zion, you know, of course, we went into the season thinking, man, the Saints actually pulled it off. They pulled it off. Here's a small market team. We worried that we, you know, that Zion would be would be leaving us. We actually, you know, were able to lock him down in a contract, which is a tremendous accomplishment. And then, and he shows like real flashes of brilliance, and then gets hurt. <laughs> uh, yeah. Your concern all along has been that he's a big guy. Can he stay healthy? And boy, those concerns are as real today as they've always been, aren't they?
2: Yeah, look, I mean, he's had just a, a, lot, a lot of unfortunate injuries. I think the biggest issue has been that injuries are going to happen. How do you deal with it? How do you rehab that injury? What's your dedication like to the recovery and the rehab? And I think that's been the issue with Zion Williamson. Uh, because he's a big guy, you know, his father, his biological father was a defensive tackle in college. So he's built more like a, a defensive tackle than he is a basketball player. So he's always going to have to – uh you know work on his weight that's an issue so when he has these lower leg injuries which is what he's been riddled with you know foot injuries a you know, hamstring injury it's difficult for him to do a lot of cardio to keep the weight off so he has to be really disciplined when he's rehabbing these lower leg injuries and we haven't seen that from him so far that's been the issue he continues to have setbacks and when he has these setbacks it just the injury drags on and I think you read between the lines when you heard some of the veterans after the season basically saying, hey, you know, it's time to grow up. It's time to become a professional. And uh, there's no doubt Zion Williamson wants to be great. He he loves basketball, but I think the idle time when you're down with an injury, uh, you know, what's the what's the phrase, you know, the devil's work in the idle time. I mean, that's that's what happens. You you got to figure out how to be more focused. Uh, so you can come back from these injuries quicker because that's been the issue.
1: Yeah, I remember a year or so ago, maybe it was, actually is longer ago than that. That you said of him that he's a first, of all, he's a kid. He's just he's a kid. Then the fact that he's not a real social kid. He's not one that goes out there and just you know runs around and enjoys his fame. He likes like like video games, <laughs> you know, because I I can actually see him. In his digs, not feeling you know his feet hurting or whatever the injuries are, and just just kind of vegging out, enjoying video games, and just getting caught up in that swirl. Uh, but that's pretty accurate, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, he's got a you know it's it's like anything else: a basketball team, a football team, really just a cross section of society. Right? You end up with all people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different ages, different demographics. And so, you know, some players are more mature than others. Some players uh, are wired differently than others. And I think Zion came into this league with so many great expectations. I mean, he was arguably, uh, you know, the most exciting prospect to come in the league since LeBron James. So there's been such great hype around his arrival. And that's what I think has exacerbated some of the disappointment with all these injuries. But there's make no mistake, though, he's a difference maker. When he's healthy, uh, he's a unique human being there's not very many guys like him that big that athletic and that explosive so the pelicans are going to build around him but they're going to have to do it with him buying in i think we heard david griffin say that it's it's kind of time for zion to buy in and become more professional and i think this offseason is going to be a big step in that direction
1: yeah you know people can say all they want to say about michael thomas for example but boy he's got a work ethic and he's someone who works really hard to take care of his body and hopefully he, he will come back and make a huge impact for the entire season this year if we could see zion have that same kind of commitment man and that's what happens when you grow up maybe he'll, he'll be able to do that but anyway jeff it's been a pleasure to catch up with you my friend thanks for joining us for the whole show today
2: yeah thanks ricky everybody have a great weekend we'll talk again next week buddy
1: You bet. Have a great uh, weekend, and uh, we'll see you on Monday morning. Take care.
0: Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1.